Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello and welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I am your host, Davey, and joining me, Mel, our co-host. Mel, I am so curious as we get into this episode, because it's been a couple months now since you have made a pretty big transition. You and Charlie have stepped into the the leadership role of this church, and I'm I don't think we've talked about how things are going. What's happening with that? How's the transition been? Yeah, Davy, for sure. Um, it's going really well. We uh, feel very called to where the Lord has us. We're really enjoying it. It's, um, you know, it's it's been all things considered, a fairly smooth transition. We're learning a lot. I mean, I think we're learning right now um, just how to say no, Mm. (laughs) that there's so many needs. And um, in order to protect and uh, have margin in our family, we have to say no to some really good things. And that I didn't realize that that was so hard for me until I had to do it more often. (laughs) Um, Oh, man. And I think one thing, Charlie and I, we kind of laugh about this, but kind of also not really, but just things that we kind of think about, or I don't want to say stressed about because Charlie really doesn't get that stressed out. Um, things that we didn't really ever think about until he came into this role. And so I never looked around at like church attendance or um, <laughs> activities or programs that, you know, we should probably look into. And now um, I feel like there's this, this way of ownership and it's just been so good. Both of us can really are resting that, um, that this is the Lord's church and um, mm. that our kingdom role is to just be faithful with what he's given us and uh, to walk with God and that the rest is up to him. And so that feels really, really good. Um, but yeah, that's kind of what we've been learning in wow. this season. Pastoring really a local good. churches, um, you kind of walk in that space regularly of just dependence on the Lord. And really, mm-hmm. if you're doing anything in ministry where your life is being wrung out for the gospel, that's the space, you know, God continues to keep you in this like dependence on the Lord. But there's something about pastoring a local church where you feel this pressure for the church to grow. And yet you realize and recognize your insufficiency to make it grow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I really can't do anything about this. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, you get it. Yeah. C- Christy would always remind me, unless the workers, la- unless the Lord builds the house, the workers labor in vain. And it's so that true. Is- Yep. God exactly. built his house. He is the orchestrator, the founder, the the grower of the local church. And we're called to just be faithful in the ministry space that God has called us to be in. So hats off to you guys. That is a uh, such a such a incredible calling that you've stepped into. And I'm really proud of you guys for how you've stepped into it. Well, thank you, Davey. Give me an update on the Blackburns. Oh man. Well, so uh, yeah, and you know, several months ago, we stepped away from pastoring a local church. And um, I, you know, I think that there, I, I think that there are, there's a group of people that underestimate how difficult that was for us. That was a very mm-hmm. difficult decision for us. Um, even though we were stepping into something that we knew God had called us to, and and we were excited about that. Uh, the stepping into, we were still greatly mourning the loss of stepping away from. That's a weird dichotomy to be in. It's a Mm -hmm. weird space. It's kind of a paradox to go, I'm like anticipatory toward this thing, but I'm extremely sad and sorrowful about stepping away from this other thing. Mm -hmm. And um, the only reason we would have, the only reason we did it is, and, and the only reason we would do something like that is if we knew that God called us to do it um, explicitly. And it was yeah. very clear. And um, and so I think sometimes uh, you, you can watch from afar, you can watch on Instagram, you kind of see our life. And of course, everybody just puts their highlights up on Instagram. And to be honest with you, I've never been a fan of putting all their like people who put the pity party stuff up on, <laughs> on any kind of yeah. social media stuff. Because I'm like, yeah, this isn't a diary. This is, you know, not a a journal. This is like, hey, here's, you know, life. And I think we need to be authentic and real and honest. 
But mostly what you're going to see from the Blackburns is you're going to see the highlights. And what you don't see behind the scenes is the struggle and the grieving and the mm. processing and the, okay, God, this is this is hard. Like, I don't understand why you called us away from that and into this and the the burial of dreams and mourning the loss of that stuff. And so I think that has been tough. Uh, for us, as it has been, I'm sure, for everybody who is a part of the ministry of Resonate Church. Um, mm. I just think that that sometimes it can get glossed over um, when people see what God is continuing to do in our family's life, and it is exciting what God is doing and how we're um, able to step into some of these other spaces. Um, I think it's also been, in some ways, disorienting because all I've known is how to you know, when I cut my teeth in ministry, it was in the local church setting. When I began to st- my first job in ministry, it was in the local church setting. I planted a local church, and now we're in a totally different setting where we're coming alongside the local church hmm. and helping, um, you know, helping the the church to be able to enhance their ministry toward to people who are walking through difficult things. And so it's a little disorienting because I'm like. And I feel like I know how to be a pastor. I don't know how to do this sometimes. And so right. every day is a faith step for us. It's just like what you guys are in. Every day is this dependence on the Lord. And I believe that God continually puts us in those spaces where we have to be dependent on Him. And so Christy mm-hmm. and I find ourselves more so now than ever constantly begging God, God, if you don't show up, like if <laughs> unless you build this, <laughs> us yeah. laborers, we're working in vain. And so we're getting to see God provide in miraculous ways, come through, open doors up, you know, opportunities and stuff in miraculous ways. And so um, the other thing too that this transition has shown us is that uh, it's shown us more and we've recognized more the need for this ministry. Mm. So um, as at the time of recording this, when we released this, it will be several weeks ago. But when we sat here and recorded this, we... Just this past weekend, we were at a church in Columbus, Ohio, and I had a conversation with the pastoral care pastor there. And they said, after we spoke and after I shared our story and tried to inspire people through that time of preaching, that this woman came up to him, the pastoral care pastor, and said, wow, that was so inspiring, but I don't know what to do next. Mm. And I told this pastoral care pastor, I said, that's why we started this ministry. Nothing is wasted. That, mm. that is exactly the reason because it was just a podcast and now we're building it out into something more. And the podcast was so inspirational and sharing a story is so inspirational, but we want to move beyond inspiration to transformation and helping people to truly heal through the process. And so this has just opened our eyes up to how many hurting people are out there, how, what can we do to help people as they're walking through and navigating their valley, and how do we come alongside the local church? And so, yeah, so what... Tell me about that. What does that look like in this next season? Well, it it looks like a, a lot of things. Is that's and that's one of the problems <laughs> and the good things is like we're going, we have all these different things that we're trying to execute and these ideas that we have. And so, you know, one of the things that we want to do is we want to continue to come alongside the local church. And so that means speaking and sharing our story at local churches, um, as well as holding workshops and seminars with them. Um, we are very soon releasing this video series that corresponds with the same content that we've been doing with our coaching clients, but it allows everybody to kind of access this who may not be able to take the time or have the finances to, to do the personal coaching, whether it was the grouping or the, the group coaching or the one-on-one coaching. So we've got that content that's coming out. We've got, we're trying to build out more content contributors, blog writers to, to contribute to nothingiswasted.com. And so um, I'll just go ahead and put this out there. If you are, uh, if you love to write and you love to write in this space of helping people to find purpose in their pain, um, why don't you just email us and we'll help you to know how to go through the application process of contributing content to nothingiswasted.com and to the blog. That's just kind of off the cuff right there. We also are building, Christy right now is building out something called the Restore Box, which, you know, when, when we... 
when I walked through uh, losing Amanda, we received all kinds of different things. Some things were really helpful. Some things were not. But basically, we're putting together a box where you can ship it to somebody who has uh, is going through some kind of trial, and it's going to be all the things we thought were the most helpful things for that person. And so, oh, I love that um, so much. So that's just like a little touch for you to get involved with that. We also are building, uh, can, trying to build out this network where people can get connected to each other and support groups, trying to help people get connected to counseling, get connected to local churches. So we have so many ideas and so much vision that this absolutely, it's so recognizable that this required us to do this full time. We were like, we it. have to, we like, and we didn't necessarily know that until we took the faith step and then getting into it. We're like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. this is why it requires full-time attention to be able to do this. And so we feel, um, it's bittersweet. You know what I mean? It's a bittersweet oh, yeah. thing. Um, but, but we're really excited about what God is doing mm-hmm. in opening doors up through this. It's been really beautiful to see. I know that from my vantage point, how much you guys wrestled and um, how it was not an easy decision to step down from Resonate, but I've been encouraged to see you guys trust the Lord and um, with that, not knowing what the future holds mm-hmm. and then just seeing Him already um, provide and open opportunities that you didn't even know were imaginable. Yeah. So it's been it's been refreshing for me to see. Oh, um, well, thank you, Mel. Yes. Yeah, so... And if you guys want to know more and be in the know of what the Blackburns are doing and um, resources that they're releasing, you're going to want to subscribe to our email list at nothingiswasted.com. Actually, this month we are giving away Davy's ebook, Thriving in Trial. So you can get that free. And we're doing that because it's almost our two year birthday two coming year up. birthday. What? Yeah. Yeah. So, Davy, why don't you share what we're doing for our, our big birthday episode? Yep. Here's what we're doing for our two year birthday. We're having a special episode where you, Mel, myself, and my beautiful wife, Christy, we're all three sitting in a room and we're answering your questions on really any topic that you want to ask. I imagine we're probably going to steer a lot in just adding value to your life when it comes to the topic of tragedy, trial, or transition. But if you want to ask any question, if you want to ask a question of talking about ministry or parenting or whatever it is, we want to add the most value that we possibly can in this episode as our gift to you. See, come on, listeners, you don't need to give us a gift for the Nothing Is Wasted birthday. We want to give you, listener, as many gifts as we possibly can for this birthday celebration. And so here's what you need to do. Ask your questions. Send them in. Here's how you can send them in. You can go to both of our social media Instagram handles. So either Davey Blackburn or Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. You can DM us there, or you can also email us at hello at nothingiswasted.com. Submit your questions. We will do our very best to get to your question and uh, try to pick some of the most frequently asked questions uh, that come in. And we're going to have some great conversation. It's going to be fun. It's going to be yeah, really fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, and if you have not rated and reviewed us on iTunes. We love to hear from you. It's so fun to hear and not just fun, but very encouraging uh, for us. So please, if you haven't done that, we would love to hear from you. Yes. Mel, today we have an incredible interview with Kate Battistelli, who happens to be the mom of Grammy award-winning artist Francesca Battistelli. And she really gets into some raw and real topics here as she's sharing some of her story. And um, I can't wait for you guys to listen to this interview. So let's jump into this episode with Kate and Davey on the Nothing is Wasted podcast. Kate, so great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Davey. It's wonderful to be here. Oh, well, I know we have a ton that we could talk about, and the listeners are going to be so blessed by this conversation. And so let's dive right in. I want you to just tell me a little bit about your family, where you're from, what's going on in your life right now, and then we'll we'll back up and, and catch some really great backstory, because I've already gotten a little bit of a, a teaser of this. I love what God's doing in your story. <laughs> well, I'm um, originally from New Jersey, so I'm a Jersey girl living in Franklin, Tennessee, right. by way of 20 years in Orlando, a little bit of time in Georgia, kind of been around, you know, lived in a lot of places. 
And um, I've got one daughter, Francesca. If you listen to Christian music, you probably know Francesca Battistelli. Yeah. So she's my one claim to fame. Um, <laughs> and then I'm married to my husband, Mike. We've been married for 35 years. And I've got four beautiful little grandkids that are just crazy, wonderful, adorable kiddos. So we have a lot of fun here in Tennessee, just hanging out with them and doing family stuff. Wow. Now, is your whole family, are you guys a musical family? Or, I mean, did was that kind of fostered in Francesca growing up? Or was this something that just this child prodigy that came out of nowhere? No, actually, both my husband and I, were we met in the Broadway musical theater world oh. uh, 150 years ago, back in 1981. Um, I joined, this is an interesting story, but I, I was an actress in New York trying to break okay. into Broadway and do that whole thing. And I got cast when I was 26 as the understudy for the leading lady in The King and I, starring Yul Brynner, if oh, you remember wow. him. Oh, I love, oh yeah, absolutely. You know, huge, huge star. Some of the younger people may not know, but if they've ever seen The Ten Commandments or the original movie of The King and I, yeah. he was the king. So he's going out on this big national tour for five years, and I got cast as the understudy, which was great, you know, exciting at my age, 26. It was wonderful. Yeah. Well, about two months into the run of the show, and you know, the one thing with being an understudy you never really expect to go on. You're basically an insurance policy mm -hmm. for the producer. So I thought, okay, well, this is fun. You know, I'm earning money and that's great. Well, one night, about two months into the run, run of the show, I come into the theater and the stage manager, it's about 7.15, because remember, this is before cell phones, mm -hmm. before any of that. This is early 80s. I come into the theater at 7.15 for an 8 o'clock show. The stage manager grabs me by the shoulders and says, she's sick, you're on. And of course, you know, you're, you're, you just, you're freaking out because yeah. what are you going to do now? I rehearsed the show. So I knew it backwards and forwards that no question about that. But as an understudy, you don't handle the props. You never wear the costumes. Right. You don't get to do it with Yul Brynner. You, you rehearse with the stage manager. <laughs> but here I am. I have literally 45 minutes to get ready and go oh, out and man. whistle a happy tune. And you know, it scared, it scared me, but sometimes you have to do it afraid. And I learned yeah. that very early that I, you know, I just learned how to do it. So um, I went on for the leading lady for two weeks. She had pneumonia, but then she came back to the show and I went back to the chorus because that's what you do when you're mm -hmm. an understudy, but the story doesn't end there. What's really neat. And I, because I didn't know the Lord at this point, I really see it as sort of a prophetic picture of mm. his, my life, what my life was going to be like with him. So she came back to the show to do her part. And the problem was they did not get along. They really, she really wasn't exactly right for the show. Yeah. Yul Brynner, they just didn't like each other. So he ended up buying out her two-year contract and giving me, a 26-year-old nobody, <laughs> the role of a lifetime. I mean, that just does oh not happen, gosh. but it happened to me. I mean, I imagine today with social media, yeah. something like that were to happen, it would blow up. It would be crazy. Oh, but yeah. Back then, you know, it 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 made no sense. But right. and I I always say back then it was the king and I, and now it's like the king in all capital letters <laughs> and I, because uh. you know, and my life is just all about the Lord and what He's done, and mm. and it was a few years after that. But that's where I met my husband. Mike joined the tours, the associate conductor. He has his doctorate in music. So both of us, my husband and I both are very musical. So our daughter came by it naturally. Wow. But interestingly, once we got married in 1983, I left the show in 1983 because I just had done about a thousand performances almost mm -hmm. three years and I was worn out. So it was time to leave. We got married. Then we met the Lord. So then we had our daughter and very shortly after that time, Mike and I both sensed the Lord calling us out of New York City and that whole world. Yeah. He asked us to lay that down. And that's what I call a God dare. When mm. God just gives you this crazy idea, this thought, this whatever, that you just go, well, I, how do I do that? I've spent my whole life wanting to pursue theater and become a star and win a Tony. Yeah. That's all I wanted. But once we met the Lord, God was just very clear that that was not supposed to be the life for us. Mm -hmm. So we... We did lay it down. My agents thought I was crazy. All our theater friends. I mean, it just, it doesn't make sense when you're doing well, you know, you're doing well in your career and you're, we're both advancing. I mean, Mike conducted on Broadway. He conducted at Radio City Music Hall. If you've ever seen the big Christmas spectacular, mm -hmm. you know, he did all, all those kinds of things. So God just t started taking us on these 90 degree turns, I call them, where you just, you're going in one direction and yeah. God says, nope, 
you're going this way. Yeah. And we were just young enough in the Lord to, to listen to that and not really question and just go, well, okay. So we gave up our apartment in Greenwich Village, bought a house in New Jersey, still only 45 minutes from Broadway, just in case. Wow. <laughs> but we never went back, you know. But Man. the one thing I, I, I do talk about is that what's, what I find really interesting is even when you lay something down, the Lord can pick that back up in the next generation. Yeah, wow. And our ceiling became our daughter's floor because wow. all the things that we'd learned, we understood the performing world, not so much the music industry that she's in, but performing, being on stage is being on stage, no matter how you're mm -hmm. doing it. So we well understood that world. We're really able to help guide her through those hmm. beginning years, especially, you know, before she moved yeah. to Nashville, got her record deal and all that. So that became a really interesting principle to me. And I see that with a lot of families, yeah. you know, just how, how that happens, how your ceiling can become your child's wow. floor, which is how it should be. Oh, it's an incredible philosophy. Even if, if we could come out of the gate at, you know, say for instance, uh, 25 year old, 30 year old, as you're beginning to have kids saying, Hey, how do I set up the next generation? How do I not live this life for me, you know, and just kind of to get mine, but to set up this next generation, my kids to where my ceiling does become their floor. They're able to supersede me in anything that, that we're trying to accomplish for the kingdom or that we're doing, or they're, you know, they're able to stop some generational sin, so to speak, and in, in our family. I mean, that, what an incredible philosophy, but you'd mentioned this thing, Kate, about a God dare. And this is um, this is the inspiration of a book that you uh, are releasing in two days as of the release <laughs> of this podcast. It's coming out in two days. So congratulations for that. That's amazing. But I, I, I'm curious, you know, you've explained a little bit about the God dare, but it sounds like to me that it's an exciting thing, but can also be a very scary thing when the Lord begins to stir something on your heart. I call it, you know, kind of a holy discontent or a righteous angst. It keeps you up at, at night. It gets you up in the morning. It's like, wait, I'm, I feel like a stirring that God is calling me to something bigger than myself. How do you how do you advise people as they're starting to feel this God dare, this pull? How do you advise them to be able to discern between whether that's, you know, God actually speaking to them about this or if it's just, you know, some bad pizza they they ate the night before, you know, what is <laughs> what does that look like? How do you really like know, wait, God's God's propelling me into something else. What does this God dare look like? I think that if it's truly God, it's probably going to scare the pants off you, you know, because <laughs> God doesn't ask us. He's not typically asking us to do easy things. He's asking us often to come out of our comfort zone, to do that scary, impossible, ridiculous thing where you go, there's no way, God. It, and it, also for me, I knew with the things that God has dared me, I knew I was not equipped. Mm. But if God calls you to it, he'll equip you to do it. Yeah, and wow. that I've learned, and I know that that's true. But I think that if it frightens you, it's probably God. If it builds up your ego or your pride, it's probably you. Oh, wow. Bad pizza. Mm, yeah, that's so good. Now, you, you talk about several of these God dares, and, and some of them have come out of a space of, of some hardship some really tough trial that you've walked through, some pain, some intense, deep emotional hurt. Um, take me back a little bit, uh, you know, because one of the things that you talk about is you talk about um, uh, recovering from an abortion. Can you tell me a little bit about that and, and what God's been doing in your life uh, through sure, that? Sure, I can. Um, what I do in the book is I, I use my story, but also connect it to a biblical character. Mm. So the title of that chapter is called The Adulteress. Now I didn't I never committed adultery, but she was a woman caught in sexual sin and you know just all the things that happened to her and how Jesus responded to her with love, with mm. mercy. He didn't condemn her. And I, I, I mean, I, one of the things I love so much about the Lord, how gracious and loving he is and how honoring he is for women. But for me, it was the year I graduated high school. The summer I graduated in 1972, I turned 18 and found out I was pregnant. Mm. And back in those days, I mean, this is a long time ago, before Roe v. Wade was legal. Yeah. Abortion was legal in New, Jer in New York, but I lived in New Jersey during those years. So when I found out I was pregnant, I, I knew there was no way. I couldn't tell my parents because it, I'm pretty sure my mother would have taken me to Planned Parenthood anyway for mm. an abortion, just knowing how she was and how embarrassing that would be in those days. Yeah. So 
I went to Planned Parenthood because where else did you go? I didn't know where to go. They never gave me any kind of counsel on anything other than, do you want the baby or not? And I was, of course not. I was 18. And to me, it was just this huge invasion of my life and my mm. body. So I said, no, what do I do? Well, she made an appointment for me at where, where I don't even remember where it was in New York City to go in the next week and have an abortion. And the sad thing that I know now that I didn't know then, I do remember the doctor saying to me, boy, it's a good thing you came in because you're just on the cusp of four months. Because I wow. knew in May something was wrong. I just yeah. knew my body, you know, I wasn't having the monthly visitor that you normally have. Yeah. And I thought, okay, something's up with this. But it wasn't until, I guess, late August that I finally got the test to find out, yes, I'm actually pregnant. So it, you know, now I know what that means. And I write about, I have a whole chapter on this in the book. And it was hard to write and it was, but it's important to write because I'll tell you, I've held on to this secret for 46 years. Mm. I never told anyone other than my husband and maybe a small handful of friends that knew, not, no one in my family knows. So I never even told my daughter, she's 33 years old. I never told her until last summer, just because wow. of the shame and the guilt and women carry this around. So I'm hopeful that the Lord will give me that opportunity to speak into this issue specifically mm. right now and to offer grace and mercy and love to these women. Because the statistic that's terrifying is that one out of three women have had an abortion, which yeah. means the women sitting in the pews around you at yeah. church one out of three, which also means one out of three men. Yeah. So that's a third of the population that's been impacted by this just horrible yeah. sin and awful thing. But at the same time, the Lord offers forgiveness. If we repent of our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Mm. So uh, I just want to remind women that you can let go of the guilt and the shame it's hard to do. It took me 46 years. So, I mean, mm. that's how hard it can be. We hold on to these deep, painful secrets that all they do is harm us and mm. they, they eat us alive from the inside. And I decided this summer when God basically dared me to write this chapter, I did not want to. It was like the one thing I was like, I'll, I'll talk about my life. I'm not going there. Mm. And God was, yes, you are, and you're going to write it and I'll help you. And he did. And it's, you know, it's raw and it's painful, but it's important because if, if, and I say in the book that my cover is blown now, mm. <laughs> what about yours? You know, are we willing to talk about the hard things? If we can't talk about the hard things, I, I don't know what the point of church and God and all of this is for. Yeah. Did you feel like when you were writing this chapter, really ex exposing that and coming clean, so to speak, about that um, in such a public way. I mean, now in a chapter of a book that's going to be written down and it's distributed forever, you know, did you feel like that that, um, that did something in you as far as breaking a stronghold or setting you free in a certain way? Talk to me a little bit about that, because I think you're right. There's so many who are holding on to these secrets and for you is decades of it. Um, why is it so damaging to hold onto those secrets? What did it do for you when you finally released that? How do you feel now because of it? I feel so much freer. It's like this giant burden is gone. I can talk about this to anybody now where for years I wouldn't go near this subject. Today, I have no problem talking mm. about it. So it really lifted that burden off. It, it, I, I decided that I had to be just done with fear. Yeah. No, because fear can control us and it, it controlled me for years and it controls many of us and it expresses itself in many different ways. Right. But for me, I know I dealt I've dealt with some serious anxiety, things like that over the years. And I'm I'm certain some of that came from just holding this secret. Because right. anything that we hold that's damaging like that, it can affect us physically and mentally and right. all kinds of ways. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you're so right in the sense that, um, you know, that statistic is staggering. One in three, there's so many that, you know, you walk into a church and you wouldn't know that that these gals have um, walked through something like this. In fact, um, you know, my wife, um, she hasn't she hasn't done a whole lot of sharing her story openly, but she um, has shared openly about you know getting pregnant out of wedlock and a season of wrestling with that debate of should I abort the baby, which was a fleeting thought for her. She was like, wait, no, there's no way I can. But she was having to stack that idea up against this idea of walking into church 
as a single mom with the stigma. And she, she shared with me one time, you know, Dave, you wouldn't believe how many people she knows that are, you know, um, Christian gals who have uh, had an abortion because they would rather that than the stigma of being a single mom checking in their, you know, their kid into kids ministry week after week and walking into church like that. And um, it's, I'm, I'm sure there's so many who, who are wrestling with that. And, and what would you say to those who feel because they're in bondage in that kind of shame, they don't want that to, to come out. How would you encourage them um, with, with what could be true? What could be a possibility if they, if they would just say, hey, listen, this is what I've dealt with. This is what I've struggled with. And this is, you know, they kind of come clean about that. Yeah, I think if you're just honest about it, and I don't know, God God can redeem anything. Mm. And I think those women that did make the choice to have the baby, even if they're going to be a single mother, they were the brave ones. I was the one who was the coward. I took the cowardly way out. So I'm thankful for those women. I don't look at them in any way that, oh, well, they, you know, they messed up their lives or they shouldn't have done that. I thank God that your wife made the choice that she did. She did the right thing, even though it was hard. Either one of those things, they're, they're both, they're both weighty and they're heavy and they're hard decisions to make. But I'm just grateful for the women that have decided to to go through it as hard as it is because mm. it can be really tough financially in so many ways. Oh man! And then just the shame and the guilt. But at least it's it's just a different kind of a shame than you're going to have when you know that you have taken the life of a child. Mm. It's a different thing. Yeah, absolutely. I love how you just said God can redeem anything, and um, God has done quite a redemption in, you know, even just this one instance in your story with abortion. But, but before that, you guys walked through some, some difficulty um, in, in regards to the abortion as far as uh, trying to have a, a baby. Would you explain some of that to us? Kind of, you know, after you had this abortion, what happened after that? You met your husband and kind of explain some of that um, storyline for us uh, to give us some context for the redemption that he's put in your life. Sure. Um, It was a number of years later when I met my husband, because I I was 18 when I had the abortion. Mike and I met when I was 27, 26 or 27. We got married a couple years later. Then we met the Lord. Then we had our daughter. And after we had our daughter, it was about a year and a half later that I got pregnant again, but it turned into an ectopic pregnancy, which is in the fallopian tube. Mm. So it can't survive. There's no way. We didn't know that. I remember going to the doctor on a Friday and they said, yes, you're pregnant. And we announced it in church. We went to a little tiny little church in New Jersey at that point. Everybody's cheering and yay and great. Well, the next day was Labor Day and I was making Franny her breakfast and all of a sudden I doubled over in pain. And I thought, this is just a really bad stomach ache or gas or who knows, or maybe my appendix. Well, after about five hours of just unrelenting pain, finally I would try to stand up and I would faint because we didn't know I was losing blood internally. And ectopic pregnancies are one of the leading causes of maternal death because wow. you're bleeding and you don't know it. Finally got me to the hospital. They, you know, they were able to take care of everything. And I was in the hospital for about four days. It nearly killed me. I think mm. the enemy was just trying to take me out, but he didn't, he was not able to succeed. Yeah. So then after that, we tried some fertility treatments to try to see what can we do. We were, I'm, I'm the crazy woman who wanted five children. You know, a lot <laughs> of women, just, team, oh, huh? I'm good with one or two. Yeah. <laughs> but I wanted a big family because mm. it doesn't bother me. I'm fine with chaos. If you ask my husband, I'm a messy. I'm not that neat. So, you know, it doesn't bother me with crumbs and chaos and all of that. But um, I remember after doing several treatments, things weren't working, nothing was taking. And I finally asked him because when, with, the one fallopian tube was gone because of the ectopic pregnancy, but the other one was very scarred. And I asked the doctor, would that have happened? Would the abortion have caused mm-hmm. that? And he unequivocally said, absolutely. And I thought, well, shoot, you know, there, there, there really are consequences to our actions. Mm-hmm. And I learned in that moment, you know, it, it's just, this is something I can't go back from. And I remember him saying, you'll never have children again, but you can always adopt. And that that's when you actually feel your heartbreak. Mm-hmm. 
and we tried to adopt three times, three times it fell through. So it just, it was just kind of this season that we got into when I was, and this is my thirties and forties, when I really wanted a child, just desperate for that, crying out to the Lord, not understanding. It didn't make any sense to me at the time. Why, if God is a good father, Mm. he doesn't give, he's supposed to give good gifts to his children. I thought, well, Lord, I'll be a good mother. You know I am. I'm going to take care of these kids. Why won't you give me what I want? But the thing I didn't realize, because I was still an immature Christian, I wanted God for what he could give me, not for who he was. Mm. And I've learned that lesson now. And it was in a, I was at a women's conference. I used to do, even after leaving theater, I still used to sing on worship teams and do that for a lot, a lot. And um, I was at a conference and just deep in worship. And I felt the Lord say to me, speak in my spirit. I just heard him say, I heard these words, am I enough? Mm. And it broke me because wow. it, either he is or he isn't. He's either everything or he's nothing. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I never, God never asks a question he doesn't know the answer to. So I kind of felt like Moses letting him answer mm. just to say, I am. Yeah. And it, it, that, that's when I think I really started to learn that I've got to learn to be grateful for what I have, not constantly be yearning for what I don't have. He gave us one remarkable child with an incredible destiny. We didn't understand. And now the good thing about having some years on you is you get that perspective. Mm. You can look back 30 years and go, okay, this makes sense, Lord. I mean, part of it is my own fault and I take full responsibility for that. Had I not had an abortion, we might've had five kids. But regardless... I, I look at my daughter's life, the impact that she's had. And I, I mean, I just sort of stand amazed thinking, how, how did I get that? How did wow. I deserve that? Knowing what I've done in my life. Wow. But God, you know, God is so sovereign. And that's why I say he can redeem anything because mm. he's just, he's redeemed my life. But, it, you know, he just blows my mind all that's the time so with the things that he does. I love what you said. You Once you have some time that has elapsed, you can look back and you can go, oh, okay, you know what? There's there's starting to be some meaning in this. I'm starting to understand. While we may not understand it fully until the other side of eternity, all that God has you know, in our story, we can begin to look back. One of the things I say um, oftentimes is, you know, in Psalm 23, it talks about how goodness and mercy, it says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of your of, of my life. And and you don't really know something's following you until you look back, right? And you can kind of and so it's, you've got to give it a little bit of time. Sometimes God makes all things beautiful in His time, and I think so many so many times we're in the middle of our situation and we're in the middle of that storm, and we just feel so overwhelmed by it that we're like, "How are you in this, God? How are you good?" And God's going, "Just just hold on, give it a little time. I'm going to turn this into something beautiful and redemptive." How, Kate, have you um, wrestled with that tension between consequences for your actions and grace? Because I, I mean, I sit here and I feel that same tension with you as you're telling your story. It's like, you know, this recognition of like, wow, there is real consequences to my actions. What I do, if, it, if it's going, you know, against what God's... Um, you know his 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 commands, his will for my life is it's gonna it's gonna bear some scar tissue and some consequences in my life, and yet God is gracious. How do, how do you how have you wrestled between the two of those things? Um, what does that look like for you? Because it's like I, I know there's some people out there that are like, uh, well, God God's kind of out to smite me because of something that I've done. You know, this is a punishment for something I've done wrong. And, and, and yet then there's others on the other side of the spectrum who would say, well, no, God's just full of grace and he kind of winks at my sin. And so it's not, it doesn't really affect it, but it really is a tension. What does that, what does that tension look like? I think guilt and grace are both fighting for a place in your life, in everybody's mm. life, lives. And I think we need to, ignore, you know, push away the guilt and give in to the grace. There is a tension there, but I think I've learned, I've accepted what I've done. And that's a big thing. When mm. you've repented and asked for forgiveness, that does take away a lot of that tension. Wow. I don't think God winks at anything, but I think no matter what we've done, if we ask him to forgive us, he will. There's no mm. question that's Bible. So I think that that if if you're feeling that tension, then there's probably something on your side that needs to be dealt with, that needs mm. to be fully, fully looked at and dealt with and repented of. And then you can move forward 
still knowing, I mean, I, this is something I'll carry with me all my life, but it doesn't define my life anymore. Mm, if anything, good. it now gives me that opportunity, I pray, to speak to other women and to help them get past the guilt and give in to the grace. Wow. Wow. Hey, friends, just want to interrupt this interview for just a second, because next week we are doing our two-year birthday episode of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. And on that episode, we're going to be unveiling something we've been working on for a long time called our monthly partner program. Nothing Is Wasted monthly partner program. And if you like this episode, this interview with Kate Battistelli, you're going to love the extra bonus interview I did with her. We got into a little bit of the weeds and talked about parenting. And you know that she and her husband, Mike, are phenomenal parents because they grew a great kid. Ironically, she wrote a book called Growing Great Kids. They grew a great one in Francesca Battistelli, the nationally known, world-renowned, Dove Award-winning recording artist. And um, not just that she's super talented, but she's also a woman of character. And so... Next week, June 6th, we're going to be telling you how you can get access to that bonus interview. So if you like this interview with Kate Battistelli, listen to the interview next week. We'll tell you how to get access to that and to sign on for our monthly partner program. Now back to my interview with Kate Battistelli. As you guys were wrestling with the, with infertility, did... Um, did you ever have uh, issues with uh, with kind of your your own identity in that as a as a mom and as a as a woman? I know that so many gals who are wrestling with that. One of the biggest things that they struggle with is, you know, as a woman, there's so much woven into this idea of what I can produce in my identity. And um, in fact, Christy and I had this conversation the other day about infertility, and she's a PA. I was asking her about the statistics, like. Is there any statistics out there that, you know, what infertility is, you know, um, more the cause of the, you know, not cause, I hate that, that word, but more um, the, the man or the, the woman or the climates between the two? Is there any kind of statistics that kind of land one side or the other? And I love what she, she told me. She was like, I don't think there's any medical statistics out there, but I think women take it on even harder than a, than a man does if it seems to be their you know, their body that's having trouble producing because there's such an identity built up in women to have, you know, to be nurturing and have, uh, have kids and to be able to produce something, you know, it's just, it's so, so a part of their body. Did you wrestle with that at all? And if so, how would you help somebody who's wrestling with that? I did wrestle with it some. The main thing is I really wanted to have a son because I wanted to be able to pass on the family name. You know, my mm. husband's Italian, a name like Battistelli. You just, <laughs> I, I really wanted to honor him by yeah. producing a son, and I wasn't able to. And I thought, well, shoot, we're not going to be able to carry on the family name. But then I see what God's done with our daughter, mm. and his name is out there everywhere. People wow. know his name, even though it's through her. So it's just amazing the wow. things God can do. See what I mean about he can redeem anything? Yep, that's it. He just brings everything back around and makes it fit. So uh, I've, not, I've not really, I, I struggled with it back at the, during those mm -hmm. years when I was, you know, when fertility was still an option. Um, and hey, you never know, God could do anything, but, um, <laughs> That's right. I think it's, it, we have to get to the point where we accept what God is giving us in our life. One thing I talk about a mm. lot in the book, and I ask this question a lot and I say, will you let Jesus pick? Does he get to pick your future? Does wow. he get to pick whether you have one kid or 10 kids? Does he get to pick poverty or riches, fame or obscurity? Mm when we actually let him choose, when we follow him, we don't know where he's going to go. John the Baptist didn't know. Mm. You know, I talk about him in the book because that's a God there that nobody really wants. No one yeah. wants to get their head chopped off. But, yeah. and he, God, Jesus basically dared him not to be offended because he didn't get him out of prison. Mm. And I, I think if we just allow the Lord to pick our future, it may not look like we want it to or mm. what we dreamed. My future didn't turn out the way I dreamed it would, but it's turned out to be wonderful. And I can, ex mm. I can accept and I can be grateful for what I do have because it, we often just make that mistake of 
only looking at what we don't have rather than thanking God every day. Just, I mean, we watch the news and seeing all the things that go on around the world. And then I think, but we get to live in America. Yeah, We get to have a nice home and a calm neighborhood. And, you know, we don't have crime and crazy things going on yeah. all around us. And we're not fighting for our food and our water yeah. this week. We've got it all provided. So there's so many things to be grateful for if we would just focus on those rather than on what we lack. Mm, that's so good. Yeah, it seems like um, pain is often a perspective thing. You know, I mean, you look at in, in Hebrews chapter 12, where it talks about, I mean, we always talk about the the, the hall of faith, you know, this like <laughs> huge group of people that just this litany of folks who God moved in some tremendous ways, many of which I'm sure that you wrote about in the God Dare. But then at the very end, it talks about the the folks that, like what you said, the dare that nobody wants, the ones who, mm. who their lives ended in brutal ways. Some were sawed in half, some were, you know, all of these descriptors of folks who were not able to see the promise that was given to them on this side of, the, of eternity. And that always puts pain in perspective for me. And you're, you're so right, Kate, in the sense that focusing on what, we're, what we have and what we can be grateful for, especially in the United States, really helps to begin to put you know, my struggles, my suffering, what I'm going through in, in a different perspective. That's so good. What would you say to somebody who would, they would go, you know, I like this God dare concept, but I'm not sure if I can trust God to follow mm -hmm. his dare. How, how would you speak to that? Wow, that, that's a great question. Um, I think you just, you have to sometimes just, I, I call it a cosmic bungee jump. You just have to mm -hmm. bungee jump into the future with God and trust that the cord's going to hold and you're not going to smash on the rocks below. It, it is scary. I mean, there is tension. I, listen, I, I, I am convinced that a lot of the biblical heroes we read about, they might not have been God's first choice. God might have offered some of these things to other people to do. Yeah. Said no, because it's our choice whether or not we are going to be chosen to change the world. Mm. It's my choice when God drops something in my mind. And if, I, if I'm certain it's him, how, how can you be certain? You have to pray. You have to really seek out the Holy Spirit and hear from him to know and get confirmation. Bring it to somebody. Bring it to your pastor or to a trusted friend who you know is mature in the Lord, who can help you navigate whether that's really the Lord or whether yeah. that's just, you know, like you said, last night's pizza. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Wow. So uh, I'm sure there's some other God dares that you wrote about that uh, are intriguing. Tell me, tell me some other God dares that have happened in your life that have really caused you to live outside of yourself and go, wait, okay, hold on. This is, this is, whew, this is bigger than me. Well, the first thing I ever called a God dare, I know the first God dare for Mike and I was moving from New York and laying down our careers, but I didn't call it that until 20, what was it? 2011. I, Okay, back when our daughter had already started getting songs on the radio, was doing well, Mike and I were asked to speak at this big homeschooling organization in Florida where we had homeschooled Franny for a number of years. It was their big 20th anniversary, and they said, will you and Mike come and tell us what intentional steps did you take to raise your daughter to find her purpose and do what God was calling mm -hmm. her to do? And I, we said, oh, sure, we'd love to come. I got off the phone and looked at Mike and said... <laughs> the heck did we do? Because, you know, you're not really always thinking about it. You're yeah. just parenting. Yeah. But we sat down and we came up with these 15 very intentional steps, mm. very intentional things that we'd done to raise her to find her purpose and to follow the Lord. So a week or so went by, we gave our talk. The next day I was literally just laying out on the floor, worshiping, praising God, thanking him because the talk went really well. And I started thanking him for those 15 things. And right as I thought that in my mind. I heard him speak in my spirit as clear as I've ever heard the Lord speak. He just said this one sentence, those are book chapters. Mm. And I went, oh, Lord, wow. do, do you know I'm not a writer? <laughs> do you know I went to four colleges in two years and didn't graduate from any of them? Oh wow! Do you know I have no platform, no one to publish it? There's no way, God, no, I'm not writing a book. And all I kept hearing was, those are book chapters, those are book chapters. So I thought, okay, what Ever. I found a friend who was a writing coach, which I didn't even know was a thing. And I called <laughs> her up and said, Can we get together? And I've got to show you this and just tell me if it's a book or tell me if I'm crazy. And I showed her my chapters or my 
you know, the things that we talked about. She said, right. those are chapters. This is a book and we're writing it and I'm going to help you do it. That's awesome. And he did. And I just, that that's when you just step out of the boat, you bungee jump with God. You, to me, I, it felt like a triple dog dare. You know, he just was saying, do this. And I thought, well, Lord, if you're, if you're calling me to do this, you have to equip me. I always knew I could write. I loved English and writing when I was in school, yeah. but I never pursued it. I always journaled, but I wasn't what you would call a writer. Mm. But all of a sudden I write this book and get it published. You're just like, who does that? But God, yeah. that's how you know it's really the Lord when it's so crazy impossible, but yet you say yes to it and it comes to pass. Yeah. And then you just go. But the cool thing about when you take a God dare, you can call yourself by another name because now I can call myself a writer and an author. I couldn't do that 10 years ago. Wow. I couldn't do that eight years ago, but I can do it today. And I'm a second book coming out. How does that happen? That's awesome. <laughs> oh man, that is so cool. Well, I just, you know, God shows up when we're lacking. He fills in the gaps, right? He fills in the gaps of our grace. He does that in our pain. He also does that in our big faith steps. And it's in both of those spaces that he grows our faith. You know, when something mm -hmm. hits our life and it's like, wait a minute, I did not see this coming. How in the world am I going to be able to navigate this? How am I going to be able to get back on, on my feet? He comes to us and he's like, hey, I'm here. I got it. And it grows our faith. And then there's those times where he calls us to something bigger than ourselves that's exhilarating and exciting. It's like, well, that would be cool if, but there's no way that I could. And then we watch God come through where we are lacking. Well, it's an incredible, incredible thing. Why don't, why don't we do this? Let's talk a little bit about uh, maybe some of your, some of your journey um, uh, in parenting, because I know we have a lot of parents who are, are listening, and um, we're just going to kind of t dive a little bit into it, and then we're going to have a separate conversation for those folks who want to join us um, on that. But tell me, what were some of the I mean, I'm a parent of a four and a five-year-old, and then we have, we have another one on the way. And our counselor told us that this season with four and five-year-olds is the season where you are the most unsatisfied with your marriage because your kids are just driving you crazy. I'm sure you guys had some seasons where it was like, what are we doing right now? What is happening? And there was a lot of pressure and strain. Can you tell me a little bit about some of that? We had some of that, but only having one does make it easier. <laughs> and Franny was the neat child. She was very obedient. She was not difficult to raise. We didn't ever really go through that crazy rebellious stage because we only had one. It was easy to just play with her and she would pick up after herself. So I never fully experienced what you're dealing with and what I see her with her for because her kids go from eight down to one mm. and they're wonderful and uh, super fun. But and it's messy. It's yeah. noisy. It's crazy when they're around, but I love, you know, I mean, I love them to pieces. So I didn't fully deal with that, but, um, you know, I can't help you too much so on that you, question. Yeah, you had such a great child. Yeah. It's just, she uh, was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> well, we find it, you know, just kind of off, off topic a little bit. We find it sometimes easier when there's two and more because they can entertain themselves. And then sometimes it's it's absolute chaos, and we're like, uh, <laughs> just trying. <laughs> My to husband navigate. says when you have two, you can duct tape duct tape them back to back, and then you know take some hours to figure out how to get out. What a great idea! That's <laughs> going to be our new game, Kate. Thanks so much, <laughs> Kate. You talk a, a little bit about this concept of being a Titus two woman in the book. Can you explain what that is to me? You know, I think the Titus two woman is missing in the church. The Titus two woman, where, where Paul tells tells them in the book of Titus that the older women teach the younger. Mm. You're supposed to do this. You're, it's not really a suggestion. To me, it's a command that Paul is telling the older women how to mentor and help the younger women with raising their children and yeah. keeping a household and all those things. And I see it seriously lacking in the church today. Most women my age are either retired or they're retiring and they're not mentoring anyone because yes, it does make you come out of your comfort zone. And younger women, I'll ask them all the time, who's mentoring you? No, oh, nobody. Mm. Do you wish someone was? Oh, we're dying for it. The young women want to hear from us. And I think we sometimes think, well, we, you know, we grew up and raised our kids before social media, before computers, before all this stuff. We don't understand all the technology. What are they going to ever 
you know, how, how am I going to be able to help them? Or some of us might be thinking, well, shoot, I figured it out. You figure it out yourself mm. rather than doing what Paul commands. So if I get to write another book, I would really love to write it on this subject because I see it as a just a huge gap in the church where women just are not mentoring other women. Because as you know, if you're where I live in Franklin, Tennessee, we're the 10th most affluent county in America. So wow. there's a lot of money here, which is great, but people get comfortable. And yep. one thing I'm hoping that the God Dare does more than anything is just bust people out of that comfort zone. Mm, that I when God that. calls you to do something, yes, it's going to be scary, probably going to be difficult. You know, you might not have all the answers. You might not know exactly what to do. But if you are obedient and you follow the Lord, it's going to change lives. Yeah. But it might not be comfortable. And in America, unfortunately, we value comfort above all. That's what we want. Yeah. We want to retire and go or, you know, just go watch TV or do whatever, go play golf. Which is not I, what you see in scripture, right? Oh, gosh, no. You I told my husband, I said, <laughs> I'm never retiring. So just know that. I don't uh. even... I don't know where that concept even comes well, yeah. from. And not even, not just the retirement, but just this idea of comfort, you know, like this is not something that we see as a, as a, a concept that, that God is endorsing over and over and over. In fact, he's really calling us into these spaces of discomfort. Come on, Peter, get out of the boat, right? Exactly. Man. Oh, that's, that's so good. With this mentoring conversation, um, do you think there's a lack of mentoring because of, do you think mostly it's the fault of the older generation or who's not intentionally taking time to reach out and invest or the fault of the younger generation who's not stepping up and making those asks or a combination thereof? How would you comment on that? I think it's a combination of both, but I think it's primarily the older generation because that's who Paul was talking to. Mm. He said, older women, here's what you do. Men do this, women do that. So I think we're the ones that have dropped the ball. I think also younger women could step up more not to be afraid to ask. Maybe they think we don't know anything or we're not hip because we're not, you know, a lot of a lot of my friends aren't even on social media, which doesn't make sense to me because you have <laughs> to stalk your kids somewhere. <laughs> so, you know, I, I just, I, I think, but I think primarily it's my generation that that is missing it. Mm. I love that. Paul puts the onus on the older generation. He says, hey, he also says elsewhere, um, those of you who are stronger, you have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. So he's Amen. always putting it on the the onus of, of those of us who, I guess, so to speak, get it. You know, it's like, okay, we've kind of lived life a little bit and we have the experience and the gray hair to um, to speak to it. And so here's here's the wisdom of the experience. And so, man, I love that. That's such a great... How would you advise somebody um, who is wanting to get started in doing that and mentoring some some young gals or some some young guys how would you advise them to get started in that i think the easiest thing is just to ask or to sit next to them in church <clears throat> one thing i don't like about church sometimes some churches do this where they separate things by age the young people are doing yeah. this the older people are doing that i think we mix it up mix it together but if there's a young girl that you feel, you pray about it, ask the Lord, he may put somebody on your mind that you just send a quick email to or text or, hey, you want to have coffee? That's all I ever do. It's not like it has to be this formal 10-week hmm. thing. We're going to go over the book of whatever. Just go out and have coffee and talk to them. How can you help? Maybe just sometimes it's it, if it's not, I don't necessarily think it needs to be super structured, just super relational, just relate to them, get to know them, what things they're dealing with, because they're going to ask you if they're having issues with their kids or their husband or their job or whatever. They'll ask you as an older woman, well, what would you do in this situation or how would you handle this? So I think, I think we need to step out and be a little braver. The older Titus mm. two women need to be a little braver to just ask and just make yourself available. Hey, if you ever want to talk, if you ever want to have coffee or want to have lunch, that kind of thing keep it casual. And that's easy. Wow. Kate, this has been such a great conversation. You know, one of my life philosophies has always been, I want to live my life in such a way that it's so far beyond me that whatever comes out of it, people can't go, wow, that was, that was awesome what Davey did. I want them to go, that was amazing what God did through him. And if God can do it through a guy like him, he can do it through me as well, that it inspires other people. And you have inspired that 
in me in this conversation to take these God dares and just live on faith. You know, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So Amen. to live that um, beyond ourselves, I love it. The God Dare releases in two days. So excited for you. Congratulations. <laughs> this Thanks. is awesome. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast, Kate. Thank you, Davey. It was a pleasure. Wow, that was a good episode. I loved it. I really am looking forward to her book, The God Dare. Yeah. Yeah, we are gonna we're gonna have that up on the podcast page so you can access that pretty easily. So make sure you go check out this particular episode of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, and um, and you'll be able to you'll be able to find her book, The God Day, right there. And uh, next week is the week birthday. <laughs> it is the two year birthday of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Mel, are, are we going to have a cake? I need to know this. This is important. We definitely need to have a cake. Well, here's the thing. I have been on a 30-day no sweets fast. So oh, wow. I'm going to have to break this fast with a cake. So I definitely think we need to have a cake. Okay. Sounds good. Let's do it. And you know, your your wife and I, we love cake. <laughs> so even if you, do. you don't want to partake, <laughs> we will definitely eat your portion. You're going to partake of the cake. Man, you guys definitely need to join us for the two-year birthday episode. And uh, we want to thank Ryan O'Neill, Sleeping at Last, for providing all the music from the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Download his music where music can be downloaded and streamed. And join us next time for this special two-year birthday edition of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. It's going to be a good one. You don't want to miss this. <laughs>